you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Isaiah. This is a passage I have preached from before, and not even that long ago, and I know that I did. But we, we circle back to this passage because this passage is prolific. We know that in this early part here, we understand that in chapter 40, 41, 42, that the children of Israel have gone the wrong way, and God is calling them back to a better day. They have experienced some bondage from the oppression of the Babylonian Empire, and they need a reprieve. They need a break. They need to be able to move from that into freedom to where they can have the land of promise God has given to them, and that Moses led the people, their forefathers, to experience years before. At this moment, the Babylonian Empire is formidable, and it seems there would be no way that anything different will happen other than the bondage that they're experiencing. And you may be sitting here today feeling that your life is what it is, and there will never be a brighter day or another way. But I want to tell you that God knows where you are, knows what's going on with you, and He knows how to write the end from the beginning, and He knows how to minister on your behalf. You don't need to give in. You don't need to give up. You don't need to throw in the towel. You need to know that God is aware of you wherever you are and whatever is happening with you today. And God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah. Could have been just a faint voice to them, but it really was a profound voice because Isaiah is speaking to them and he is saying, God is going to do something. That which is will not always be. <laughs> that which is happening now is not what will be happening as we go into the future. God is going to do a new thing. God is going to do a real thing. And it's something you can't do on your own. It's something you can't bring about yourself. This is something that God will do and God will get the credit for it because it's only something God can do. Have you ever had something happen in your life that you knew you couldn't do, but you knew you needed God to do, and then God did it and you had to give him praise and thanks? Isn't it wonderful when you have a testimony like that? You just know that God has shown up on your behalf. I thank God for those times he's done that in my own life. And I know you're grateful for those times. And we should thank him for it. And we testify about it. And we lift our hands in thanksgiving of testimony of what God has done. And I thank him for the ways he has worked across our congregation. Chapter 43 starts out with the verse 1 and says, But now, when God looks at your life and God looks at your story and your situation as it is, he can put the words, but now right there. And the prophet can stand there and begin to speak, but now there is something I need to tell you. But now there is something you need to hear. But now God has a word for you. But now something is about to unfold that will be a new chapter, that will be a great chapter, that will be a next chapter. And God wants to say something to us in this moment of our lives. And I believe as I look into your faces today that God wants to do something for each of us. And God is about something in each of our lives. And I want to look at three dramatic statements that show us in this passage how we can trust God with our future. We can trust God with our future. We can trust God in our future, first of all, because the scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 43, God has redeemed you. God has redeemed you. That means something has lost its value. Something has been devalued for whatever reason. And in our case, God has chosen to redeem us by sending us Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. And for anyone who would call on him, he forgives our sin and receives us 
as his children. This is a powerful thing. The scripture says to us that he will redeem us. Then notice what happens. In verse 1 it says, he calls them. God has called out to us. You and I receive many calls, many texts, many emails, many hey, hey in life. But God has called out to us. And through his Holy Spirit gently bringing things together or nudging you in some way, he has called out to you too. And he knows who you are. And he knows the story that you're living. And God has called out to us. And it's absolutely powerful. And then notice here, he calls our name. He doesn't just say, hey, you. But look at that. He says he has redeemed us. He has called us by name. And it says here that you belong to him. You have been adopted into the family of God if you have trusted in Christ Jesus. And he has brought you back to a value greater than before. Isn't that powerful? If it is, say yes. Now, you saw this wonderful praise team up here singing just a little bit ago, and you saw this handsome dude over here on this side. His name is Nick. Now, I remember when Nick came to this church this long. And his mom and dad over here opened their home, opened their arms, and they received him in and gave him their name. They adopted him into the family. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what your heavenly father has done to you. If you have called out on Christ for forgiveness, he has adopted you in. He has given you his name. You are a child of God. You are part of his royal family. You are part of the royal priesthood of believers, universal church. You are part of the family of God. Man, I like that because that takes us all in. All of us needed to be redeemed. And he says here, you didn't have to be perfect to come to me. You just come to me as you are. Leith Anderson, writer, minister, Christian leader. Leith said he took a trip to Manila. And when he went there, they took him to the dump. Sounds odd. They had some missionaries working at the dump. Sounds like they're really impoverished and poor people. But then he told the rest of the story and the reason they were there. He said when they went to the dump, they found people that lived there. As a matter of fact, they lived there all the time. Some were born there, lived there, died there. That was their life. They would send their children out in the morning to collect trash, scraps of food that the family could eat. It is a way of life at the dump. I saw pictures and photos of it as we looked online, and they would show a garbage truck coming back in, bringing from the city some of the trash. It looked like the people around it were waiting on Christmas gifts to be given to them. It was absolutely terrible what was happening and what is happening. And that picture that you see on the screen is a picture of a young girl looking through the trash to find some food. The missionaries are missionaries there to try to reach these people and give them the gospel. But Leith goes ahead to say this. But Americans also live on that garbage dump. They are missionaries reaching into the lives of people. And that's amazing, he says. But not as amazing as a journey our Savior made from heaven to earth. The Son of God knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. And he knew what the sacrifice would be. Yet, he journeyed from heaven to earth on a mission to save humanity. And then notice what verse 2 says here. It says that he has refined you. You know, it's one thing when God redeems us, we feel kind of good about that. We feel like we have been, as the scripture says, made new. We have been made 
whiter than snow. We have been born again. New start. Wow. It is so exhilarating whenever we realize that our slate has been wiped clean. And I love that. It's a refreshing thing to have happen. And I trust everyone has had that happen. Whether you're watching or wherever you're watching or whether you're here today. But verse 2 says God has, God has refined us. This part's not real fun. <laughs> this part sometimes hurts. Nudge your neighbor and say it will bring some pain. Notice what he says here. He says that troubles are on the way. Their troubles were not intended to harm them. Their troubles were intended to refine them. I used to watch Robert Schuller when he was alive and on the television. And I appreciated a good bit of his ministry. It inspired me greatly. It says, these troubles are not forever. They prepare us for our tomorrows. I like that because the trouble that we experience in our life that has come to our life right now, God can use for a purpose. You quote that scripture, you have it somewhere in your mind, if not on your wall at your house, on your screen it comes up, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose, right? Romans 8, 28. We know this, that God has in mind these kinds of things when they come into our life. Yet we, we push hard against them very often. I do, and I'll just confess. I push hard, hard against them. I say, God, I don't like this. I don't want this. Take this thing away. But it might be the very same thing that he's wanting to use to do some sort of refining, whatever that is, in our life. And it's different for every one of us how it might respond and what it might be. Look at verse 2. When waters, future challenges, when, future tense, when rivers, when fire, is speaking of future things. So he said, trouble's on the way. Then he defines her troubles are going to experience. Their forefathers had experienced this stuff. Their forefathers knew about this. They went to the Red Sea. They had to have help, right? But troubles are generally temporary in some way. Look at verse 2. When you pass through Verse 2, when you pass through, in case you didn't get it, verse 2 says it again three times, when you pass through. It wants us to get it. Troubles are the gateway very often, the birthing pains very often, to a future that is much different, and we trust very much so brighter than what we have experienced up to this point. Rabbi Abram Tversky said this, cool name. He said this, he said, the lobster is soft and mushy, but it's got this real hard shell. As that lobster grows, that mushy inside is growing against that shell. It feels restricted, and it feels like something's got to give. Something has to change. And so what it will do is look for some sort of a place that it can go under some rocks where it will be safe. It'll shed that shell, and then it will grow a new shell that will protect it. And if it heals all good, and pretty soon it will begin to feel the same problem again because as it grows, that shell then becomes too small and it must go through that process again and it repeats that thing again and again. It is something that happens over and over again. And very often God will allow us to go through a season, then we come out of a season, then we go through a season, then we come out of a season, then we go into another season. If I'm right, say yes. We're either going into one, we're in one, or we're coming out of one, is what someone has said. Perhaps they are true and right in what they say. <laughs> Let's camp out just for a little bit at verses 18 and 19. 
God is saying to the people, I'm going to do a new thing. If something new is going to happen, if something new is on the horizon, that means what is, is going to have to change. Or is going to be now in the past. And if something new is on the horizon, we're going to have to make a decision. And so he invites us to make the decision. God is offering to write your future in a different way. And for some of you right now, maybe God is writing a different future than you anticipated. Look at verse 18 of your passage. Forget the old. You've got to let go of the old. You've got to let go of the former things, the has-been chapters of your life. He doesn't mean you'll never remember anything that's happened in your past. He doesn't mean you'll disrespect anything that has happened in your past. But what he is saying to you is, don't let the past keep you from moving into your future. What he is saying is, don't let the past, whether it's negative, painful, maybe you did something, whatever, maybe someone else did something, whatever, don't let that impede or hold you back from going into the future that God has in mind for you. If you've had high accomplishments and great, great things have happened in the past, do not let those accomplishments impede you moving into your future. Don't let them hold you back because God has a future that is in the now blessing of God. It's not in the yesterday blessing of God. A lot of times we say, God, do what you did then. God says, I want to do what I want to do now. I want to do something fresh for you. I want to do something today for you. I want to do something that you have not yet experienced. Dr. Barry Webb writes it this way. When God says to them, I want you to forget the former thing, God knows a human psychology too well. The past can become an idealized world of the good old days into which we retreat when the future becomes too frightening to face. Or it can be the springboard from which we launch ourselves into the future with new strengths. We have to let go of some of our past hurts. We have to let go of some of our past hang-ups. And we have to let go of some of our past habits. Heard about a fellow the other day who was cutting loose of a habit of smoking. And I don't think that's a heaven and hell issue necessarily. I think it's a major health issue. And so he was getting rid of this and he was up to about three packs a day. Some of you have tried to break free from that. It's tough, I'm sure. And I can't even begin to imagine trying to break free. So some people would give the counsel to him this way, you ought to just quit. Well, good grief. He said, I prayed and asked God to help me and God hadn't done that deliverance of this stuff. And sometimes God doesn't. He doesn't do it that way. Sometimes it's a slower, methodical way, right? And so what he did was he said, I'm just going to smoke two and a half packs. You see that progress? He had a goal. He made a progress. And then he, and over time, he was able to slip that back to where he said, I feel better and I'm not giving my family secondhand smoke. I thought, wow, that's it. You see, he achieved the victory he was after. And since he realized he wasn't just going to have a drop dead quit moment, he said, I'm going to make the march toward it. You see, if, ladies and gentlemen, if you will change your trajectory by a degree or two in your life, you will begin to experience a change and a transformation. You take the negative thinking in your life. If you're a negative talker all the time and you're always negative and always, always seeing the glass half empty, if you, if you continue that way, once in a while I have to hit myself over the head, let it go, baby, let it go. You don't need to embrace that thinking. Think about all the blessings God has given you. You're warm. You've got people that you get to be with on Sunday. You've got a wonderful family. You get to drive a car. Man, you live in America. God has blessed you with all kinds of stuff. You've got enough threads to wear. It's all good. Think on the good. Think on the better. 
Can I get a witness somewhere across this congregation? Y'all just sitting there looking at me. I love y'all anyway. But you know what? God wants us to be able to move forward. Anybody ever watch Restaurant Impossible? If you have, lift your hand. Yeah, you've seen that. I like to watch that show once in a while. Not so much now, but I used to watch it. You remember Robert Irvine on that show? Irvine? How do you say his name? Irvine? Say it south. Irvine. (laughs) Sounds better. Anyway, he's cool. I think he thinks his muscles are cool, too. I'm not sure. I just like seeing him one day. I don't want to ask him because he's bigger than me. He come walking in and I say, what's up? That's about what I say to him. But uh, he's he's a dude. And he goes into the restaurants, right? And he tells them, hey, you could change this, that, and the other, and you can make your restaurant better. One show in particular that I remember that he was doing, he was sitting down with this guy, and he was saying, dude, you've got to change your recipes. You've got to change your menu. Uh, your restaurant, it stinks. These rest, this food is not good. I mean, he just said to the guy. And the dude's a big dude, and he said, I think you're wrong. I don't think you're all bad. I still remember he's sitting there. He's like, Man, this guy's funny and dumb. And uh, you've got the expert sitting there telling you, you need to change this. And if you change it. And finally, the guy said, what makes you think my food's so bad? He said, because nobody's coming back to eat it. <laughs> That's why I think your food's bad. If it was good, they'd be coming back in here to eat your food. But they're not coming back because your food isn't good. He said, you need to change your recipes. And I've got some suggestions for you. But you know what? You and I, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. Kurt Cobain, rock legend. He was at the top of his game. He has sold more albums since his death than Elvis. This guy has been wildly popular. His wife was in L.A. and she was going to the counseling to seek to get off of her addictive habits. And she said, Kurt, you've got to come here. I can help you. We have a baby. We have to do better. And Kurt went there. And he made promises. He said, I I will do better. But the psychiatrist who evaluated him said, Kurt's early events that brought so much pain to his life, he cannot release them. It's as if they happened today. And after Kurt left, with all the promises that he had made at the rehab place, he went back to Seattle, and he went into a cottage there, and he ended his life. God says to us, if you're going to move forward, if you're going to move forward, you're going to have to let go of some of the patterns you've been embracing, some of the ideas you've been having, some of the way you've been thinking, some of the things you've been saying. You've got to let go of them to be able to move forward. There are many fires that happen in New York City, unfortunately, too many in our region. But in one of the high rides, it was on fire in 2005. Tracinda was a lady on the third floor. The high rise was on fire. Smoke was around her. She has a little infant in her arms. She wraps that infant up as best she can. There are people down below looking up. She finally drops her infant, and she sends up a prayer. God, let somebody catch my son. There was a guy below who saw what was happening and caught the baby, gave mouth-to-mouth to the baby. Fireman came into her third-floor room, got her out, brought her down, 
and with just a little bit of help, both child and mom were able to be reunited. But it would never have happened if she hadn't let go of that baby. And some of us need to let go of the baby. Say it out loud. Let go of the baby. And some of us need to let go of whatever the baby is in our life to be able to find the victory that God has in mind for us. I don't know what the baby is in your life, but I know if you don't let go of it, you will not find the victory that you're looking for. You'll stay pent up and not experience the promised land that God has in mind. Albert Barnes in his writing, he was a commentator. He said this. You know what a commentator is? An average potato. <laughs> but um, it's... <coughs> no, he's a very smart man. He wrote some great stuff. Anyway, he said, So great and wonderful shall God's future interpositions in your behalf be that what was done, great as that was, will be comparatively forgotten. That's powerful. God wants to do a new thing, and he brought about a new era for them. And the new era was bringing forgiveness, a next chance. It was bringing all kinds of hope and healing and restoration. And most of all, it was bringing the presence of God. And God says, I want to do something new for you. I want you to be able to move out of where you are into where you need to go. And the ultimate new thing God was going to do for them, he says, through Isaiah, he says, I want you to look. The Babylonian Empire is going to fall. That's not the end. Christ is going to be born. That's the beginning of the great new thing. And then he says he's going to be able to bring transformation to anyone who will call on him. That's incredible. And then he says he is going to return again and set up his kingdom. That is beyond. Wow. Incredible. Mind-numbing. Mind-blowing. God wanted to do a new thing. And he wanted these people right here to embrace it, that they might be able to be part of what God had in mind for the future that was just ahead of them in the south. We had a lot of cotton fields in this particular area. I've been to the south, and I've seen cotton fields. Pretty impressive. But in the cotton fields, they were having a problem in this particular area with insects eating them up and just destroying their, their harvest, annihilating them. And they didn't know what to do. So what were they to do? Eventually, someone came up with the idea that if we would put peanuts out, the little insect called the boll weevil will not eat the peanuts. And so they put the peanuts out as a harvest. And it is the only insect, I understand, that has a monument built to it. It is a boll weevil monument. And it is built because it helped save the South. And George Washington Carver helped them develop some 100 recipes from peanuts and we benefit from peanut oil and peanut butter. Can I get a witness in the house? Peanut butter and jelly on your toast. Mm, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that is sweet stuff. But sometimes what we do is we focus so much on a stinking past that we can't move into the blessed future. We spend so much time over here looking at all we've done and can't think about all God wants us to experience. We sit back and look at all of our failures and our past. And we can't experience the new blessings that God has in mind for our tomorrows. Friends, you've got to let go of this enough to be able to experience and embrace what God has for you in your future. Now let me bring this home. I'm going to share an illustration or so, a couple with you, that are personal. But I have shared some of these well into the past. When I was a kid in my teenage years, at about 18 years old... <clears throat> I attended a church camp about 40 miles from the home where I grew up. 
it was an important camp to our family. They had evening services where families would come in and hundreds and hundreds of people would go to this camp. It was a very large camp in the Midwest. And it was part of the group I had been with. And they'd have family services in the evening. And it was a, it was a wonderful place. God called me to preach at that camp. I believe in camps. And it was a great experience. But... They, on Friday night, they had this banquet where the teens would go and, and you could invite somebody to be your date. So there was a gal that I had seen and talked to a little bit and I thought she was all right. And I asked her if she'd be my date to that. And um, she sent word that she wasn't, she wasn't going to be my date. Some fellas from the south had come into town. They were tall, dark, and handsome, and I was none of those. And she, she saw them and thought they were the cat's meow. So, and my dad got there. That was about 5 o'clock. I learned that. About, about 6 o'clock, my dad pulls up at the camp. He had been working all day. He came in. <clears throat> he said, by the way, uh, your Doberman just gave birth to eight puppies. And I said, thank you. Now, I named my Doberman Vestal after Vestal Goodman, the Southern Gospel singer. I named my blue Doberman, she was a blue, that's gray, I named her after Vestal. So Vestal had eight puppies. I said, wow, I'll go home. Now, we had tournaments all week long, and I had been selected to play on a softball tournament on Saturday morning of All-Stars. The young All-Stars would play the older All-Stars, and I was selected to play on a softball team for the young All-Stars on Saturday morning, and it's quite an honor to get to do so I said to my dad, let's just go on home. So we jumped in the car and we went on home to check on Vestal and see what all was going on, make sure she was doing great and, and everything was okay. And, and I could hardly sleep that night because I was thinking about Vestal and thinking about, uh, you know, that softball game. And then I'd, been, I'd had such a whirlwind of emotions on all this stuff with the person not wanting to be a friend at, at that uh, banquet. And uh, so I just kind of had a whirlwind of emotions going on. And the next day I went to the camp, and at the All-Star game, I hit three home runs. One was a tape measure shot that, no joke, they still talk about today because it hit the tabernacle at the place. Nobody had ever done that before, and uh, I did it. And so they were astounded at that, so I hit three of them, and then I hit a double and a triple. I batted five times, and the young All-Stars won that game. So I went from picking low cotton, which is an expression we use in the Midwest, picking low cotton, to flying up high on cloud nine. Yep. And then I had uh, the experience of um, discovering that there was a, another girl that thought I was pretty all right. And I didn't figure I had much of a chance with her. But she was dating somebody else. I couldn't figure out why she would leak it that I was all right if uh, she was dating somebody else. Because I didn't want to make a move on somebody else's turf. <clears throat> well, maybe I did. I say you go for what you want. And uh, once I began to realize that, she was smart enough to realize that she needed to break off some things. And so she broke off the former thing to embrace the new thing. Thank you very much. 
And I began to realize something through my ministry and through my life. I would not be where I am today if I had not married the person I married. And the person I thought I had a shot at who was a little hot number ended up marrying one of my best friends. And they're pastoring out in the Midwest and doing great. And the cowboy she had dated a while, he ended up marrying somebody. And they're pastoring down in wherever, the Midwest somewhere. That's why we moved out here. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Not really. And so we end up moving out here, and I never would have been able to make it to where I am today if I had not been married to who I've been married to, and I know it. Some of you need to let, some of you need to let, some of you need to let go to be able to turn and embrace the future God has for you. And I give you this. When Pam and I moved from the Midwest out here to Pennsylvania, we knew no one. We really didn't even know of anyone. We felt that God had something for us, and we were supposed to come, and we did. We weren't martyrs. We just did what we felt God wanted us to do, kind of a blind faith, but a full faith in God. When I ask you to make full leaps of faith in God, I've done it. I do it. This building, et cetera. So we went over there. First year was kind of like, Ugh. we were on staff over in Bethlehem, and it did not go well. <clears throat> and the other minister was going to leave, so he was already on his way out. And I remember leaving the church parking lot to drive and getting on the Pennsylvania Avenue, turning right, and I was headed towards where that train track is. You know where that train track is on Pennsylvania Avenue. I was headed up that way, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Kevin, are you going to do your will or are you going to do mine? I said, God, I'll do whatever you want. Man, I don't know why I said that. I said, God, I'll do whatever you want. (laughs) I do know why, because I was taught to yield to him. Have you been taught to yield to him? Not always easy, but it's rich, and it's where the sweetness of God is found. And I said, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever. Then I want you to stay here. And for the next number of years, we pastored over in Bethlehem. Now, the ministry started going really fast and furious, and, and it went well. And we maxed out the facility and maxed out what we felt at the time were the ministry options. We redid every ministry in the church with the exception of the nursery, which was running really well. We redid every one of them. And we went on a two-year search for property all over the Leah Valley, all over the Leah Valley, literally. <clears throat> Had real estate agents, all this stuff. Finally, if you know where Grape Street is and up past Olive Garden where that, where that uh, old flag factory used to be, you know what I'm talking about, that old flag factory? Now they have the Whitehall Manor. We made a bid on that before it became Whitehall Manor. As a matter of fact, the owner of Whitehall Manor was standing there and said, what are you going to do with it, Pastor Kevin, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, we're going to make a church out of it. We might make a senior adult housing out of part. I should never have said that. That was dumb. Straight stupid. And we're gonna, so we went to Kogan Industry. They drew up the first plan, a gym in this end, a sanctuary in this end, cafeteria seat, 400 in the middle. Over here we had classrooms all lined up, about 13. We talked to Bethlehem Christians to see if they'd move there, and, and we were negotiating. We had our place almost sold, and this place we had a purchase offer out. And on a Monday, Ed Keys came to me and said, Kevin, it's not going to work. Bethlehem Baptist backed out of the purchase over there and they sold off part of this property over here it's not going to work 
That I call Black Monday in my life. Because I'd worked two years feverishly to keep the church moving forward and then to have this experience. And this is as I see it and as I understand it. As lead pastor, this is what I experienced. I love the people there. Love them. And then we, we knew our ministry was finished there, and so we went out to Midwest. And then 20 years ago, we came here. I honestly believe if I had not been able to release that in my mind, I would never have come over here. But because I was able to release that from my mind and let go of the plans I thought would have been the ones God had for me, to embrace the ones God actually did have for me. Because I had told Pam years, years before I said, I'll never move to Cherryville. I can tell you that now, right? 20 years in, I think I can tell you that. I said, I'll never move to Cherryville. I didn't even been to Cherryville, really. I didn't even know why I wouldn't move here. I just said, well, I would never go to Cherryville. And it is, but this has been our sweet spot. And this has been the best place we could ever have been. And when we were coming back to the Lehigh Valley, driving those trucks, she's in a U-Haul, I was in another, and we were driving our junk here. We had two-way radios, and she said, boy, it feels like we're going home, doesn't it? I said, it does. And that's what you have allowed us to experience. And we thank God for that. It's been a wonderful journey. And um, and I'm not, I'm not through with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not getting ready to tell you I'm out of here. I'm not out of here. My resume is nowhere. So just mark it down. I have no resumes out. Old age will catch me pretty soon, but <laughs> I have no resumes out. But here's the deal. This probably wouldn't be here, and many of you would not be sitting here today. Lee Heighton and Palmerton campuses probably wouldn't be here, and the ones we're getting ready to build probably wouldn't be on the radar right now. If you don't let go, you can't embrace what God has for you. What is God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to you about letting go of right now that you need to embrace into your future? What is He saying to you? quiet that's a God quiet Lord we are your people we are the sheep of your pasture you are our shepherd you have provided so much for us through salvation that we can never fully thank you enough we thank you for the forgiveness of sin and for the deliverance that you bring to us we thank you for the new chapters you write because you are always in them and you're always there for the next thing. Lord, you have fresh blessings we don't yet know about that are ahead for us. Whether here or in heaven, we can hardly comprehend what it would be. So Lord, we let go and we release our habits, our hurts, our hang-ups. We let go of our sin and we say, make us new in you. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Guide us. And help us to be yours. Completely yours.